What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday morning and welcome to In Their 20s. This is your go-to podcast with the best advice from the best people. As always, I'm your host, Landon Campbell. Thank you so much for the feedback with episode 105 from last week, where we featured Henri Pierre Jacques from Harlem Capital. We spoke about time management and sacrificing for success. We have another big episode scheduled for today. We were joined by none other than Frank Mong. He is the chief operating officer at Nova Labs and Helium. Helium is building a device for your home that allows you to power smart devices. These smart devices are also known as IoT devices, Internet of Things. We all know about the many things that use Wi-Fi, you know, our phones, Alexas, computers, but there are many other things, IoT devices, in our homes that need Wi-Fi that we don't think about often, like smart thermostats, electric scooters, smart refrigerators, and more. These types of devices use a different type of Wi-Fi, not the same Wi-Fi for our phones and our computers, because these things need to last way longer, keep a charge, and be functional. So once you set up a Helium router in your home, you are rewarded with a cryptocurrency called HNT, which was created by Helium, and you're able to not only power your smart devices, but other smart devices in your cities and communities. So we spoke about everything that Helium is building, what the heck is decentralization, and the future of the internet. So we're going to jump in with Frank, but before we do, here are the top three things that all 20-somethings should know about. All right, we'll start with our first point on the list here. Last week, I spoke about a statistic. I believe it was 85% of Gen Zs don't care whether or not a brand is getting involved in the metaverse. So with that, I said that companies and brands should have it make sense if they want to get involved in the metaverse. Don't just do it just to be involved in it. And on the subject, Chris Brown released an NFT on July 1st called Breezyverse. After a week on sale, only about 3% of the NFTs in this 10,000-piece collection were sold. This is a perfect example of celebrity adoption of NFTs gone wrong. His team probably just getting involved in NFTs because they want to follow everybody else, but really didn't take the time necessary to build out a strong program or even see if his fan base was interested in something like this. But what I really found the most shocking about this is Chris Brown has over 116 million followers on Instagram. So it doesn't matter if you have the biggest following in the world. Uh, If you're going to just launch something in the metaverse, NFT, Web3, and not have it make sense and only have about 3% of the NFTs sold, that's a clear example that really be intentional if you're going to get involved in the space. The second point involving podcasts. Rising podcast listenership draws advertising dollars. Podcast listening is up and advertisers are taking notice. U.S. podcast ad spending is rising at double-digit percentage rates yearly and will top $2 billion next year and reach $3 billion by 2026. What do I have to say about this? Well, I've been saying this for months and two years at this point. I'm a big believer in podcasting. I don't think it's too late for people to create podcasts. Yes, we see a lot of people have shows, but there's still only about 3 million podcasts out there compared to YouTube shows, you know, TikTok profiles, social media platforms. That number, 3 million podcasts in existence, is pretty small. So if you want to create a podcast, now is the time to do it. This is going to continue to grow as a medium. And looking at the perspective of advertisers, podcasting just happens to be one of the best 
customer acquisition channels that exist. Where else do you have 30 minutes to one hour or more of someone's undivided attention? That is crucial for advertisers. So create a podcast. And the third point, the most interesting point on my list today, a Google executive recently said that Instagram and TikTok are eating into Google search and Google maps. He said that 40% of young people, when looking for a place to eat for lunch, don't go to Google Maps or search anymore. They go to TikTok or Instagram. I first read this and I was all like, okay, is that true? But then I really started to think about it a little more. And yes, I think I also am someone that does that. If I am looking for a restaurant to eat, if I have a question, most of the time, yes, I will Google, but more recently, I've been looking on TikTok, I've been looking on Instagram. Of course, it's important to have multiple resources and check things out, but I think that if Google is speaking about that right now, that TikTok and Instagram are threatening those businesses, that's a trend that I would really pay close attention to. Um, so these users don't tend to type in keywords anymore, but again, they rather look to discover content in new and immersive ways and that's what you're getting on TikTok and Instagram and a lot of these other platforms. So those are my top three things that all 20-somethings should know about. All right, everybody, we're going to jump in with Frank Mong from Helium and Nova Labs. But before we do, in case you missed the announcement from earlier this week, on August 10th, Wednesday, I'm launching a new segment of In Their 20s. It's called New Kids on the Block. I'll be sharing my exclusive conversations with top Gen Z founders who are building companies for the future. So two things to that. If you have a Gen Z founder in mind that you are extra bullish on, DM me as soon as possible. Landon20s, L-A-N-D-O-N-2-0-S. I want to learn more about that founder. And also, make sure to tune in on August 10th, Wednesday, to see episode one of New Kids on the Block. We have a super, super special first guest. Not going to share anything yet. Just wait and see. All right, let's dive in with Frank. So Frank, really excited to have you on In Their 20s again. Thank you so much for joining the show. Before we get to what you're working on today and some of your advice in the space, I want to bring it way back. Uh, So back to your days at UC Davis, what is one daily routine that you developed during your college days that you can say you still use today? (laughs) Landon, thanks for having me. Um, I have to say the first uh, habit I developed is absolutely not useful uh, in my (laughs) daily routine today at Davis, which is uh, basically not going to bed on time or in an <laughs> early enough time and getting up way too late and missing my classes. Horrible, horrible, uh, <laughs> horrible habit to develop at UC Davis. No, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a great question because I, I grew up in San Francisco in the Tenderloin and went to high school in the city at St. Ignatius College Prep. Um, and in that time frame, where you have your parents around you, and you, you're you know you're locked in going to school with that routine, it's easy to sort of you know fall in place, compete, do well, try your best. Like you, there's lots of support systems around you, right? From family to teachers to friends. And I think at Davis, going to college, and a lot of your listeners probably either know this or living it or remember that support system disappears. Now, all of a sudden, you're on your own. And whether you go to class or if you're on time or, you know, if you get your homework done or your labs done, no, no one's going to come ask you. No one's going to check. It's between you, your professor, and your grades. And that's it. <laughs> so, so I think 
that was like the big like aha rude awakening and the habit that I had to develop because I made the mistake, as I mentioned in the beginning, of not developing good habits and choosing to play sports. I play men's volleyball at Davis, uh, choosing to, you know, hang out with friends, uh, not getting my work done. You know, the result of that is you don't do well. You know, you, I was majored in electrical engineering, computer science, and and so you don't do well. And I ended up like getting a D or something in, in engineering calculus and I had to retake it. And that's like uh, a horrible lesson I had to learn because I basically went in, got a bad grade, started with a horrible GPA and had to spend the next four and a half years digging myself out of that hole, you know? Wow. And so then, so really the lesson I've learned is you, you're going to make these mistakes. The question is, are you willing to persevere and just dig yourself out and it takes time. And that's sort of the, I think uh, a huge lesson for me is like, you know, you're going to make life mistakes. You can't avoid it. doesn't matter mm -hmm. who tells you, especially when adults tell you, don't do that. Oh, trust me. I made that mistake. You don't want to do that. Make the same mistake that for some reason tends not to work. <laughs> I love that, Frank, but you need to make those mistakes yourself. I mean, think about yes. how so many things happen between ages of 18 to 23, 24, as you mentioned, and I agree that I even, you know, was in for a rude awakening. I mean, you're moving away. I moved 2000 miles away from home, uh, from the Bay area yeah. to Chicago, something that so many college students from around the world have to do. I mean, every single year and yes, you're going to make the mistakes. You know, you're going to have to learn better routines, of course, during those years, but keep in mind that if you were to make a mistake today, it doesn't have to fully impact your future. I mean, look at Frank today, very successful. And I love how genuine and authentic you were in saying that you made some mistakes when you were younger. So just understand that, yes, it's great to, you know, want to <laughs> exceed everyone's expectations and work hard and, you know, live the best life that you can. But some things are out of your control. Some things are in your control, but it's these years, this defining decade where you can really figure that out. To totally. And I, you know, in, you're always going to come in these forks in the road in your life and you're going to question, Hey, what do I do? Do I, do I go for the sure thing? Right. I get, I get the paycheck. I work nine to five. It's, you know, it's safe money. It's a good company. Or do I take a leap and go try this thing that's super risky or do I go travel the world? And do I just kind of say, you know what, I'm not going to, you know, get myself in the rat race right now, I'm going to go experience other parts of life and learn that first. Like these, these choices, I hope these choices <laughs> fall in your listener's lap, Landon. Yep. It's, it's really, it's, it's a blessing to have these options. And, and I would say I've always chosen the safe route because, you know, when you come from, you come from a poor family, a poor background, and you, you've grown up in a, in a really bad neighborhood throughout your life, you know, getting out of that situation is, is like first and foremost mm -hmm. and getting into a stable situation where you can earn good money from a reputable company, big name. Those are crowning achievements. Those are big milestones. You feel proud, but at the same time, you know, and those are some of the choices I made throughout my early career. Um, but I, I would argue there were times when a buddy of mine said, Hey, come work for us. We're a startup. You know, it's a huge risk. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, um, but you should come join us. It's fun. I, I did take that leap, and I'm glad I did. And that was like Ignite Technology. Just a couple of years out of school, I, I took a leap and went to go work for my friend, 
And it was an amazing experience, an amazing journey that led me into cybersecurity. So it just depends, right? Everyone's different. Everyone has a different tolerance, different situation, different background. Um, but I would encourage folks to, to consider, reconsider and consider like, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't go work for a, a big company like, you know, Facebook or Google or mm-hmm. whatever the, the, whatever the brand name is today. You know, maybe, maybe I go work with my friend at Land- Landon, you know, maybe I go work on podcasts. Who, who knows? Have some fun in Chicago, right? Yep. You never know what happens. He becomes the next anchor on ABC or something. Who knows? <laughs> right. You just never know. And so you take the leap. And I, w- I would say if you can and you can afford it and your family can support you that along the way, you know, do it. That's why I'm so excited for today's conversation because we're really at a unique time of our lives um, that, you know, only comes around ever so often. I mean, you know, we're going to be really diving into what is decentralization today? You know, what's happening on the blockchain? Because there are so many job opportunities for 20 somethings, but to your point, a lot of them can be risky, um, but a lot of them can have heavy payoff as well. If you are willing to trust yourself, trust your gut and trust the people that you want to work with. Right before we get into Helium Labs and uh, you know Nova Labs today, as it is called, um, I yep. want to talk about one more thing in your career. Um, you know, Before Helium, before Nova Labs, um, you've had a 20-year career, a technological career, um, working on so many different projects, some really cool companies. Um, but a lot of this was before the blockchain existed. A lot of this was before um, you know, what we call decentralization crypto. Um, so what were some technological um, advancements that you were working on, uh, you know, during your 20s before uh, you really found a strong interest for what you're working on today? Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate. I think in my in my 20s, the the web two internet really took off a killer app called email replaced fax machines. Um, and that email, web browser, smartphone, I think, boom, was something that I benefit heavily from because I, at the time, I, I was in the world of uh, network security, firewalls, next-gen firewall, antivirus software. In, in, those, in those days, that technology and software was meant to protect you in your network. And networks were not, not so open and far-reaching as it is mm-hmm. today, right? Every, every company, every home had their own little network everyone sort of operated with applications and software that ran inside your network, not in the cloud. Like they, we hadn't moved to the cloud yet. This is before cloud. And so you had to secure your own little network, whether you use your network for playing video games or you were uh, an accounting firm or you were um, a tech company where you had your own servers, your own storage, your own you know, uh, desktops and, you know, and laptops connecting in. That, that was the environment that I, I started my tech career in. And so I was very fortunate to see these islands of networks and each island had its own network security, network protection that had, you know, then you required firewall, antivirus, anti-spam, all of those things. And email was a, was a killer app. Email drove commerce over the internet at the time. So this is get going way back. Like this is like yeah. you know, 25 <laughs> years, right? And so... So I was fortunate to, to catch that wave, if you will. And as that grew, network security grew. Like everyone needed a firewall. Everybody needed antivirus software. So during those days, in my time at like SonicWall and Symantec and Trend Micro, we really, like I really benefited from innovation in that space, from integrating firewall to antivirus, making antivirus more effective, uh, coming up with different ways to block hackers and attackers, 
in, and different uh, fishing, you know, fishing schemes and spear fishing schemes. Like th those are like the old, old school, old days of uh, breaching into, into different networks. And so it was a constant cat and mouse game. If you were on what we called white hats, if you were, if you were you know, trying to protect the network versus being the, the bad actor attacking the network, then, then you know, you're constantly behind. You're just behind the game trying to set up a defense layer and then the bad actor would just figure out how to penetrate. And so you're, you're just constantly patching and then you're getting attacked, you're getting penetrated and you have to like figure out what to do again. And so it was very fluid, right? Very fluid, innovation was constant. And so that, that was, I think, a great experience for me is to you know, live in an environment where that, that was always happening and that was the constant. Totally. So Frank, you've been a part of two very interesting stages um, in tech and the internet, uh, sort of, you know, web two. I mean, when you were really saying that email was a driving force on the internet, early, early um, internet, and then looking today, uh, quote unquote, web three, uh, which I know we're, you know, still in the first, uh, second inning end. But what would you say is like the main, uh, you know, similarity between these two times um, in your life? Um, and then also, you know, the second question I'll let you hear at first, um, what are the main uh, differences as well? Yeah, I, I would say like comparing, you know, my time in Web 2 to now where we are in Web 3 or with crypto, I would say that the similarities are that the changes are constant. I mentioned in cybersecurity, there's always bad actors and they're mm -hmm. always coming up with new ways of penetrating, you know, your security defense. And then you have to constantly adapt and adjust. And so that was never ending. I, I would argue as crypto and web three is in its early infancy today, that same innovation and evolution is a constant as well. It's just never changing. Um, and so that it always changing, not never changing, but it's, it's always changing sure. because you're, so, you're in this early stage that no one knows what the mature version of where we are is gonna look like. Yep. And so there's going to be thousands of attempts, thousands of changes, thousands of points of views, uh, to really form that. And so that, that's where the similarities lie. I think where things become very different it, are the fact that back when I was in cybersecurity, you know, we were defending I islands, like nothing, nothing, no one wanted to be connected. Everyone wanted to have their own private network and private island. Today, it's the opposite, right? Everything is, everything is connected, everything is open, and you want to be as connected as possible. And so that's, that's, I would say, the biggest difference um, from the two. Totally. No, that makes sense. So now I want to dive into Helium, uh, which is built on this uh, theme that today's connectivity networks are not strong enough to support small IoT devices, Internet of Things. Uh, for our listeners that don't understand what that is, you know, laptops, of course, require Wi-Fi. You know, my phone requires Wi-Fi. A lot of these devices require wireless Internet uh, or wired Internet. Uh, but there are many devices in our home that we don't even think about uh, that also require Internet and, um, you know, have different necessities and things that they need to connect to the internet. So if you could help us and uh, let me know how I did there with the intro, let us uh, get a better understanding into what Helium is um, and what drew you to working for this company. Yeah, for sure. You know, Helium is a company that started in 2013. And so it's been around for nine years. It was founded by Sean Fanning of Napster um, and Amir Halim, who comes from a video game background. He's one of the creators of 1942, 
and he was a Quake 2 champ of the world. And so when you those two guys got together, it was really about, you know, building internet connectivity everywhere because Sean was really into drones. Like he was flying drones and he would lose them all the time. And he's like, well, once it's lost, he has no clue where the drone went. He's like, why, why can I connect? Why can that drone just connect to the internet and tell me where it is? It's somewhere out here. I have no idea where it is. It's gone. And so that was like the initial problem set that they were trying to solve. And because Amir loves to tinker, Sean loves technology. The two of them uh, really kind of set the tone for the initial problem statement, which is, hey, let's build a, an open network that anything can connect to. Internet of things like drones or you know, water meters or dog collars, lime scooters, whatever it may be. They should all just connect to the internet anytime, especially when they're lost or stolen. It's perfect. Like that's when you need the connectivity the most, right? And, and so that, and that's unfortunately when you don't have it. So that was the challenge. And over the years that we've been around, I think we've just like, this goes back to failure. When I mentioned failure in college, right? The company had to fail many times before it could figure out the right way to catch that wave. And for us, it was in 2017, uh, after many failures, many pivots, many attempts to like find what we call product market fit. That's a word you hear in tech a lot. It's about having a piece of technology where people wanna pay you money for it because it solves their particular problem. Um, and you want as many people to have that problem as you can, obviously, so that you can sell more and more of that technology. And so they, we weren't just, we were not able to find that. Right. It's like you couldn't find your groove. You couldn't find your rhythm. Just, just there was nothing. Nothing was working. And, and certainly there was no network. Right. And so, you know, in 2017, the company had like, I don't know, nine months of runway left. Runway means like nine months of life for the company. Right. And then we're going to run out of money. And, I, and there's 12, 12 folks there. Most are engineers. Like there's 10 engineers as me and another person. We're non, non-technical. And everyone sat around with a bottle of whiskey called Oban 14, all right? It's a, it's a good bottle. And they sat around in the afternoon, drank and just, just brainstormed, what do we do? Let's, let's go back to like the roots. Let's go back to what we, why we started this company. It was to figure out how to connect everything to the internet. And the only way we could think of was to build our own network. And that debate went, went on. And at the same time, as we're talking, someone brought up, Bitcoin, like, oh, this thing called crypto and Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's like all over the news. Like our, our mothers were asking us how to buy Bitcoin. We're like, I don't know. We're not crypto people. So we're just, well, we don't really know. So a few of us were at the company. One guy was early Ethereum guy. And, and so we were kind of curious now, well, maybe, right? Maybe we could throw Bitcoin mining into a helium hotspot and everyone would be willing to share their internet, right? if they could mine Bitcoin, but obviously there's challenges with that, as you know. So we, we looked for other blockchains, other crypto technologies that enabled the ability for a, a single helium hotspot to share anonymously and prove that it's sharing, prove that it's providing good coverage and for doing so get rewarded in crypto. But there was no like, blockchain that had that capability, that had the primitives. So we, we decided we had to go basically write our own code, go mm-hmm. build our own blockchain that 
did what we wanted, which is we called it proof of coverage. And when you were able to prove to the blockchain that you are real, you're providing real coverage, uh, you mine cryptocurrency called HNT. And if a device was using your internet and you were sharing that internet with that device, you mine a crypto called HNT. And so that those two methods became the way in which you can mine our cryptocurrency. And this became, you know, we, we didn't articulate it like this at the time, but it turned out that this was the perfect business model for creating wireless networks. It was crypto in this case was the perfect incentive that changed people's behavior so that they would be willing to share their internet anonymously. And in return, they would earn crypto. Like that was it, bingo, right? Because we were, we were thinking, oh, like the traditional way, we have to go build a network, which costs billions of dollars, billions, right, of dollars. Mm -hmm. Especially if you want to build it globally, it costs trillions of dollars. Forget about nine months of life. We couldn't even raise that much money, right? No one would give it to us. And so in this case, we were able to figure out the business model, the incentive model that encourage individuals to help us like almost like spread the cost of creating the network out amongst many people and that's what we did so we we launched initially in austin texas uh with this idea we built the blockchain built the hardware we launched it was only 150 people in austin texas that were interested but at least it was something we had a network up and running in austin it was pretty cool to see and then slowly and slowly and slowly, as the cryptocurrency HNT became more valuable, was traded in the secondary market, like everything just started taking off. And we open sourced the hardware, we open sourced the blockchain, we open sourced everything, right? Everything's in GitHub. And we had third party manufacturers come and build more supply. So we literally went from like 12,000 hotspots that we worked really hard to sell because no one believed us at the time to all of a sudden, five, six manufacturers now, now 70, 70 manufacturers selling hundreds of thousands. Now we have like eight, I don't know, 870,000 hotspots around the world. It updates on the 000. website uh, in real time. Yeah, as well, yeah, so you, yeah. You can ex see. yeah, exactly. And so, so that, that's the amazing part of the, of where like, look, we're up against the corner. We have nine months of life left. We either prove that we can build something that everyone will want right? And want to join us or we're dead as a company. That's what, that, that. that's what happened. You know? Yeah. That's a great story. It sounds very reminiscent from your college days where, you know, you had your back <laughs> against the wall and you had to pause and say, okay, like, where are we going from here? Um, yeah. No. So I um, have been very, I'm a big fan of helium um, and everything that you guys have built. Uh, my good friend Trevor got me into it. Um, in Chicago, awesome. he has 12 devices himself. Um, uh, so, you know, he's uh, brought my uh, knowledge up, uh, you know, with what you guys are doing. Um, so now, because a large portion of our audience, yes, you know, understands what you're doing and they're a big fan like myself. Um, but of course, there are a lot of listeners um, who mm -hmm. want to learn more about this and understand like exactly how and why they'd want to use something like this. So I'd love to talk about mass adoption now, um, because for Helium, it makes sense because we in Nova Labs, it totally makes sense. Because again, there are a lot of these products in our house. You mentioned some water cooler, um, you know, thermostat. I mean, a lot of things that require and use Internet yeah. of Things. And, and there's incentives for everything. People need to be incentivized. So it's nice to be able to receive um, HNT in that sense. Um, so obviously, Frank, you know, I spent a lot of time on Twitter 
And, you know, a lot of the people I talk to, again, like love what you guys are doing. It's great. Uh, but I think about, you know, a lot of my other friends or my parents and a lot of people who maybe don't fully understand this, the use case of like mass adoption. So let's break that down. Why do you think and what's the future that you envision? Why do you think people who have no idea what NFTs are, no idea what the blockchain is, no mm -hmm. understanding about like even where to go, because it can be a little overwhelming sometimes. Why do you think they'd want to use something like this? You, you know, I, and I think that's, it's a, that's a very thoughtful question because it, it's a question that we, you know, at Nova Labs, as well as the Healing Foundation, we think about quite a bit, which is the world is massive, right? There's like seven or eight billion people. What could we do that is so impactful that it could change every single person's life, lives, like around the world? What, what could we do with our technology, with the time that we spent to make a positive impact like that? The, the IoT network that we've, with our community, not us, but the community has, has created, enables the potential to have amazing applications that could save communities from wildfires, with, with fire sensors, yep. right? That could save communities where their water source is poisoned and, and the, the sensors that are in place could alert them that, hey, don't drink this water. It's too high in a certain chemical or build some filters and clean that water. And when the filter's no longer effective, stop drinking the water. Like there's a number of basic human needs, clean air, clean water, that, that our technology and our network can really make an impact to the world. And I think our network now is big enough where applications like that can be affordable for everyone in all communities. And so to me, that's an important second step in the IoT network that's been created, that your mom, your dad, your neighbors, my family, my relatives, friends should care about. We take it for granted. We take, you live in Chicago, you know, if I'm, I'm in the East coast somewhere, you know, in South Carolina, I mean, the air is great. What's wrong. But we, we don't know that the West coast is on fire. Like every, every summer, this place is burning down. This, you can't breathe the air. Okay. So we take that for granted, but it doesn't mean that that fire is only going to happen in the West coast. That thing can only come East at us. Right. And so we, we have to like, think differently in that sense. And especially in the water is the other one. Water is probably, fresh, clean water is probably our scarcest natural resource and nobody talks about it. it we we kind of act as if it's endless, right? But it's not. Yep. And so our, our ability to affect change there, improve conservation, improve efficiency and utilization of water, I think is super important, not just for basic human needs, but for our food supply, for everything else that's important on earth. And so so that I think is something that Nova Labs and Healing Foundation, we, we always care deeply about. And we think our technology can serve those needs and solve a lot of those problems. Now, how do, I, how do we connect the, the tech to everyone, everywhere in their lives, all 7, 000, uh, 7 billion people? That's where I think our innovation and advancement of our incentive model in crypto into 5G, Wi-Fi, VPN, you, you name it, 10G tomorrow, whatever it might be. If our incentive model created this internet, internet of things network within three years globally, we, we sure should be able to take the same technology and apply it to 5G networks, Wi-Fi networks and VPN networks everywhere in the world and enable every individual 
to become an owner and operator of that cell tower or Wi-Fi hotspot because the on-ramp to the internet is critical. That is key yes. to all people because everything's happening on the internet, in the metaverse, in the multiverse, whatever you call it, right? It's all happening there, right? It's all in that virtual realm. And if you're not in there and everyone with money and power is, that's a problem. Yes. And, and, and you don't want access to that to be limited or metered by government or by a single entity. doesn't make sense, right? It should be free, open, and ideas should be shared. That, that's our sort of premise. And so what better tech could we build than enabling everyone to become a cell tower, essentially, an owner of their cell tower, an owner of the internet, right? That's, that's our objective. Helium, the HNT crypto, should power the future internet that provides access sovereignty to all, regardless of your race, your background, your economic, social, whatever. Every single person should have the right to own a part of the internet. That's our objective. Frank, that was so well put. Thank you so much. I really love that. Um, to close us out, what resources would you recommend that 20-something today that's listening in and now they're hooked? Now they really start to get it, but now they even want to dive deeper and learn more. Um, are there any, any books, podcasts, newsletters that you'd recommend uh, people check out other than your Twitter page as well? I'd really highly recommend following Frank um, on Twitter. We'll link that to the interview. Uh, but what are the resources should that 20-something be looking at? You know, I, I think people digest information in lots of different ways. Um, and so I, I, would, I would encourage everyone to, to leverage Twitter, as you mentioned. Um, and there's a, a, lot, a, a lot of people they should listen to that are much smarter than I am, I think, in this topic. Um, but certainly, you know, read, read our docs.helium.com. It's like our white paper. It's like a living white paper. I would encourage people to look at Filecoin. We, we were very inspired by Filecoin and what they've done. They have a very similar idealism as we do. Um, and so there are, I think, are a number of others that are trying to build distributed systems, distributed internet. Solana is another one. That's a great, I would say, blockchain um, and L1 that where we know the founders really well. Um, and they have, again, a very similar idealism as us as creating this internet computer for all. Um, and so we, we love like what they're all doing. And so if you're in that, it doesn't matter how old you are, really. If you're in that point and you're listening to Landon and you're wondering, well, what can I do with my life? Like, how do I do something that I love, that I'm passionate about, and as well as make an impact, not just for myself, but to the people around me? right? To my family, to my friends, to, to my neighbor, right? How do I improve everyone's lives? I, I, would, I would look at these other crypto projects, not just Helium, but I, was, I would also look at some platforms in, in, in the Web2 world that was also life-changing, like Lyft, Uber, Airbnb. They're new economic models, right? They enable sharing your car. They enable mm -hmm. sharing your room, sharing your apartment, apartment right? They, they really challenge the status quo, whether it's the taxi industry or challenging the hotel industry. Well, you know what? Helium's going to force people to look at ISPs differently, internet service providers or telcos or cell phone companies or, or tower companies or real estate. Like 
we're really encouraging everyone to take what they have, whether it's their apartments, their condo, their house, and consider, hey, why not? Why not turn this into a cell tower and share the internet? Why not? It just might work. It will work. Frank, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Um, I learned so much during these interviews every single time. And today I learned a lot. So thank you so much for educating me and educating our audience. Really appreciate you. Thank you, Landon. Thanks for having me.